0: In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's The Athletic's Jesse Temple. We are midway through the month of May. Still about two months plus out from Big Ten media days, and then obviously fall camp getting underway. But still plenty of stuff to talk about. Wisconsin got a huge recruiting month coming up next month. The uh, The month of June is going to be huge for them recruiting wise. Get a bunch of uh, official visits happening on that first weekend and second weekend and then even into the third weekend of, uh, of June. So it's going to be big. Uh, they've handed out a ton of offers here in the month of May, mostly in the class of 2025. A lot of the official visits that are going to be happening next month are 2024 kids, obviously. Uh, So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, But also, they're still pursuing, trying to pursue, cornerbacks in the transfer portal that would be helping them this fall. Um, One came off the board this week, or this last week, and Antonio Carter, the cornerback from Rhode Island, originally from Florida, it seemed like Wisconsin was going to get him. Um, it felt very good, and then all of a sudden, uh, some other teams jumped into the fray, and that included Notre Dame, who pulled in uh, his commitment last week. I-, I know they've put out offers to other guys, they're continuing to, uh, to-, to chase these players, Jesse, but haven't been able to find anybody that uh, is a fit and that
1: wants to be here. Right, I thought they were going to get Carter too, just because it's a big deal for Wisconsin to get someone up on a visit, and the turnaround is obviously pretty quick once somebody enters the portal, but... He became a hot commodity, ended up going somewhere else. And it's clear that Wisconsin is pursuing every, every avenue it can. Um, you know, John McNamara over at Badger Blitz had a story about – he talked to Demetrius Franey Jr., who's a freshman at the College of San Mateo in California, and he's a cornerback, and Wisconsin is trying to go the JUCO route, which we know traditionally is not something that the Badgers have done very often. But when you're in a spot like they're in right now and you can find somebody who's a potential fit that can qualify – you got to do whatever you can. And we've talked about this since the end of spring ball that Wisconsin had three players that you felt pretty good about because of their college experience, all on the top line at cornerback with Jason Matry in the slot and Ricardo Holman, Alexander Smith on the outside. And after that, where you ended up was two true freshmen, early enrollees on the outside with your twos and then Amon Williams, a walk on. So there's nothing wrong with the, the talent I think that they've got with those two true freshmen. But You would like a little bit more balance, which is something that cornerbacks coach Paul Haynes said during the spring. And you'd certainly like more experience. The last thing you'd want to have happen is you've got this very talented defense. Certainly on paper, I think they've got the potential to be a, a top 10, top 15 type of defense. But one injury or two injuries, and all of a sudden you're so depleted that you're in big, big trouble. And they're just trying to head that off at the pass right now.
0: Yeah, they haven't. You're right. They haven't gone the JUCO route very often. But because of obviously they're at JUCOs for a reason more often than not, um, which is academically, and they haven't necessarily gone that route. However, when they have gone that route, it's it, wor- it has worked out a couple times. Obviously, Andrew Van Ginko was a little bit of a different story. He started at an FCS school, then went to JUCO, and then came to Wisconsin. Tanner McAvoy started at a FBS school, then went to a JUCO, and then ended up at Wisconsin and both of those ended up being really good pickups. Andrew Van Kinkle, obviously still in the NFL. And uh, you know, as soon as they found a position other than quarterback for Tanner uh, McAvoy, he ended up in the NFL as well. So those are obviously the two ones that, that stick out. I'm sure they had some guys that didn't work out, but um, it it has helped them in the past. And they certainly clearly do need um, some assistance there at cornerback just for depth purposes overall. So Uh,
1: Is there, there's nobody else that I'm missing, right? Like since you've been covering it. What in terms of Juco guys? Well, worked out. (laughs) Well, when you were, when we were talking about the other side of the spectrum, Serge Trezzy comes to mind (laughs) Uh, (laughs) from the the Gary Anderson era. Like we don't need to relitigate the Gary Anderson era with the the junior college route was something that he did very successfully at Utah state and not as successfully at Wisconsin, but uh, it's not something again, that Wisconsin does very often. And I think, was Van Ginkle the only Juco guy that they had during the Paul Christ era? Um, it may be, and I, I'm listening. Gonna, can
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, will correct both of us because uh, we we uh, <laughs> we, we seemed I can remember Cyro Weems from 1997, but uh, <laughs> totally totally forgot about Duran Harrell and uh, and Caesar Williams both being over six foot, but. Someone uh, helped us out with that. So I certainly appreciate it. Um, but yeah, no. So I can remember that. But then there's going to be an obvious guy that we're missing. And and I'm sure someone will DM me and we'll uh, we'll have a good laugh over it. But for the most part, like in terms of guys that have really stood out and, and actually gone on to uh, do some things at Wisconsin, then Ginkle and, and McAvoy kind of stand out. So we'll see. They clearly need to add. They, would you say they're desperate to add somebody? or is that too strong a, a word.
1: No, that's a good question. I mean, based on the activity that the staff has had in pursuing cornerbacks, it desperate feels a little strong, but it's not far from that just because if they strike out with somebody, they're not stopping. They're they're continuing to pursue and sometimes you're in a position where if you can add, that's great, but you feel okay if you don't. And I think that's that's where they're at is uh they 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 don't feel okay if they don't add, right? Like that's why they're continuing to look for guys. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of talent with those freshmen, but again, you'd like to have some people with a little bit more experience and you just don't want that to be what holds you back in the end. Uh, You feel really good about your top three, but you just don't necessarily know what to expect beyond that. Yeah. And again,
0: they don't – their schedule kind of sets up (sighs) – I don't want to say this because I think going out to Washington State and and facing that offense is going to put a lot of cornerbacks on the field and a lot of uh, DBs are going to need to deal with that offense. Um, you would say that the schedule kind of sets up perfectly for them because they don't have to play Ohio State until the end of October as opposed to the end of September like they did last year. But, I mean, it's you don't want to be throwing guys into the fire if they're not ready, and while Jonas DeClona and – uh, jace arnold both made progress throughout the spring I, I don't know if necessarily you'd feel comfortable throwing them in right away like who who is what cornerback has
1: played immediately in a, in a big role sojourn shelton played as a true freshman didn't he yes 2013 yeah i mean it, it's it's few and far between obviously and there's a reason for that there's certain positions where it's just takes a little bit more time but there are other occasions where you're just forced into it and you've got no choice and uh that may be what happens with wisconsin but they're it's not over yet <laughs> and they're gonna they're gonna pursue this until they they can't anymore i'm more interested honestly zach i'm more interested to in see what happens with the scholarship numbers and who doesn't end up with one and, and how things shake out there because they've got the you, you've got the 85 man limit and they're right around there maybe one above and stuff happens behind the scenes that we're probably not aware of during this may june july period but it's a a little bit of a numbers game with, if you're going to make this decision, then what does that mean? It's a trickle down effect for the rest of the scholarship guys.
0: There is, but there's also the ability to take care of those guys in other ways. Right. Like if you're there there is now. Yeah. So we've been, we're so hyper-focused on it just because it's gotta be 85. It's gotta be 85 and it does, but there's, as you mentioned, there's, there's ways to get to that number without saying, Hey, this guy's not going to be here. Right. Like, so it's, it's, if it was the case where guys aren't going to be here, it would have been a situation where they would have been in the transfer portal. And that's not to say that that can't still happen. There's there's grad transfer guys that could enter whenever they wanted, but um, they have ways to get down to that that number. So we'll we'll see what they do. This is going to be an interesting thing to, to track throughout May, June into July and seeing who shows up on that that camp roster the first week, uh, it's always interesting. It's always enlightening and always there's a few surprises here and there and and we'll see how they decide that they want to go about it. But, yeah, cornerback, obviously, at the top of it, punter right there too, is it not? I don't know if they're going to spend a scholarship on a punter,
1: but they they have to figure something else out there. Those have to be the the two positions of of need uh, coming out of the the spring. And I think we mentioned this on the last show, but you certainly can't ignore how valuable – the special teams phases, And if that means devoting a scholarship to someone that you feel confident in, then you absolutely have to do it. And you figure out the, the numbers uh, with the scholarships at the other positions. Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Uh, Let's get into a few more things. We, there's plenty to get to here today. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the scheduling process for the big 10. They're meeting today and tomorrow down in Chicago, trying to figure out a new schedule when UCLA and USC come into the conference next year. Um, number of uh, other things to get to but let's start with your article from today jesse it's the uh, the how wisconsin develops players uh they are largely have been considered this way they're a recruit and develop program they have been like that since barry alvarez arrived they've never been a, a team that's been in the top 10 in recruiting um in terms of the rankings so they always they always have to get guys here and build them up and i know that People are like, uh, well, let's get those four stars and then build them up. And that certainly plays out how they want to do it, too. But, hey, three stars, they've turned so many of them into really, really good players. Uh, The Athletic did a study breaking down all those numbers, and you wrote about it today, some of the positions that they're good at, some of the positions they're not good at. Can you just give me an overview of what the numbers say?
1: Right. Well, uh, to build on what you were saying, so our, our staff at The Athletic reviewed 11 years of recruiting data the classes from 2009 to 2019, and then they compared it against corresponding NFL draft results three years later. So, 2012 to 2022. And they wanted to determine what are the best schools, what's considered three star U. And by that, it was which schools churn out NFL draft po- prospects that begin their careers as three star players. And perhaps not surprisingly, Wisconsin ranked among the top 10 in the power five at turning three star recruits into NFL draft picks in that study. And what they found was that no other team that was ranked in that top 10 came within 50 players of the Badgers total of three star signees. And that just highlights how much those types of players have basically been the backbone of the program's success. So, what I wanted to do is go another step further and not just look at the overarching numbers, but break it down by position. And I think, I feel like what I found basically confirms what everybody already knew, but it's good to at least have it there in number form about what positions have guys go to the NFL the most. And the top three, as I imagine people listening could guess, in terms of percentage, and this is, I combined, I looked at three-star players, four-star players, and then combined three and four-star players. So running back, offensive line, and linebacker went one, two, three in draft percentage. Um, And so there were were 14 running backs that signed. Between that, (laughs) excuse me, 2009 and 19 class, and four of them were drafted. It's pretty easy to name. Monte Ball, James White, Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, pretty damn good there. Yet eight offensive linemen, where three and four star players get drafted, seven linebackers, and that's inside and outside. And then there's a substantial drop-off. So that was the first thing is they're known as RBU or O-line U, maybe LBU, just way they've developed linebackers and sent them to the NFL that's not a surprise. On the other end of the spectrum, I think we all know this, but they haven't had a single quarterback that they've brought in that's <laughs> been an NFL draft pick. And yes, Russell Wilson was taken in the draft, but he was a member of the 2007 recruiting class, so he predates the exercise. And let's be honest, he spent all but six months <laughs> somewhere else. So 0 for 11. Quarterback, wide receiver, one for 25. Quintez Cephas, the only three-star guy or four-star guy who was was drafted. And then safety, you were one for twenty-one, and cornerback, you were two for twenty-one. And to me, this this further highlights why Wisconsin hasn't been able to get over the hump in terms of the elite of the elite in college football. When those teams that are in the 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 college football playoff uh, get to the draft, you see DBs and wideouts, uh, and occasionally quarterbacks taken in the draft. Um, Wisconsin just doesn't have a ton of that, and when you don't have that elite talent at the, some of those key positions, that makes a really big difference. It's it's obviously not impossible to overcome. Wisconsin's had some great seasons. They, they won the orange bowl. They've won Rose bowls. But when we're talking about national championships, you got to have the elite at the elite at some of these positions, skill positions too. And they haven't been able to have that. So that's, that's the summary of this. And I totally recognize that this is an inexact science because what it doesn't account for, are the walk-ons that Wisconsin has developed? Six guys in that window became NFL draft picks: Jared Aberderis, Joe Schobert, Jack Sitchie, Ryan Connolly, Ryan Ramcheck Matt Henningsen. And of those six, Henningsen was the only one who even had a 24-7 sports composite rating, and he was a two-star player. And then it also doesn't account for guys who had really good college careers but weren't drafted, like Alec Ingold, Dario Gumbawale, Corey Clement, Alex Erickson, TJ Edwards, Jack Sanborn, to name a few. So I fully recognize that this is like an imperfect science but when we're just looking at three star guys and that's the backbone of your program you don't have to be an nfl player to be a great college player and have a great team but i do think it makes a difference when you're trying to get into the elite of the elite where
0: does it stand out the most i was is it quarterback or cornerback because i know like there have been very good college teams like max duggan is a good good example of this tcu made a run to the college football championship game last year we had a guy who went he did get drafted but he wasn't like a high high draft pick right so uh you can win with quarterbacks that are not uh top 10 type of players you can it's i mean it's much easier if you have one but you can do it without that if you have some other really good players around them i feel like cornerback and i guess you now nah, i'm not gonna throw safety in there i'm going to say cornerback is the biggest difference between Wisconsin and reaching the highest levels of well where Wisconsin's been and where reaching the highest levels of college football is?
1: Yeah, um, it, I'd be inclined to pick quarterback or wide receiver because of how poor the numbers are, but they're not great for cornerback or safety either. And, and the numbers that I had are, they went two for 21 in terms of Two guys were drafted out of 21 three and four star signees, and that ended up being Rashad Wild Goose and Fayon Hicks for the longest time during the stretch. They didn't have anybody. Um, and then safety is sort of unique because Natrell Jamerson came in as a wide receiver, was moved to cornerback, and then had a really good season where he was a safety uh, and got drafted. And there were a couple other DBs who ended up getting drafted that didn't fit these parameters. Desmond Southward was actually a two-star prospect when he came in and Nick Nelson was a two-star prospect, but he also started his career in Hawaii. And sometimes I think it's hard to, when you go into a study like this, well, how much is, are they actually developing? How much do you account for a transfer? But either way, it's just not a lot, but I, to me, I, I don't know. I have a hard time <laughs> not going to the quarterback and the fact they went 0 for 11 and the fact the wide receiver, they went one for 25. I get, they've had great offensive lines and great running backs and their offenses have churned up clock. But when I look at some of these other offenses and and the reason some of these teams are able to have a ton of success, there are difference makers there uh, that Wisconsin just hasn't had at the, at the college level consistently and, and guys who are legit NFL prospects. So you could go with any of those four, but that's where I lean. Which is fine.
0: But again, the the matchup of the national championship game this past year was Stetson Bennett versus Max Dugan. Neither which of those neither which of those guys is going to play um I shouldn't say not going to. I mean that never say never. Uh it feels unlikely that they're going to be stars in the NFL and, you know, they're not big time players, but they're winners, right? Like they, they make all the right plays they need to in college, but it's because
1: they have a, sh- uh, a crap load of talent <laughs> all around them. Right. Um, especially- they were both draft picks though. I just like to point out, they may not be high draft picks. Duggan was seventh round. Bennett was fourth round. Just saying, at least they were good enough to be NFL draft picks. And you can't say that about a single quarterback Wisconsin's had. Right. I disagree with you at all. And the talent,
0: at Georgia is just at a different level. Like, it didn't, of course, right. So it's just it, it's insane what they what they do defensively. But I I think Wisconsin, when it comes to matching up with the best teams in the country, I feel like more often than not, they're able to hold their own in the trenches mm-hmm. and the front seven on defense. But they lose it on the um, on the outside. They lose it, at, you know, because they don't have the high level players at cornerback to match up with the elite players that the other team is putting on the, on the outside. Um, I think they've done an okay job matching up, you know, wide receiver wise. We, we saw that, especially with Quintez. And I know he's the, the lone draft pick that we're talking about here, but um, certainly Jared Aberderis did it too. And, um, and Alex Erickson did it. They've, they've had some success in getting uh, wide receivers open against, you know, high level defensive backs. When they have to face high level wide receivers, they've had some struggles um yeah. so I, I i to me that that is the biggest difference between wisconsin and the and um and playing at a, at a higher level you can win with with steady quarterback play you can't i, I don't think you can win with steady cornerback play you need elite cornerback play against yep. against that type of uh those type of talents on the outside
1: i think that's totally fair and i i don't disagree with that at all um and the, the thing is, it's also important to consider we're talking about recruiting classes that ended in 2019, and this predates Luke Fickle. And I think that they're doing a lot to try and address this. Obviously, the quarterback rooms that they've brought in, they've upgraded the talent level, the defensive backs, too. The fact they got two four star defensive backs in this class, like we talked about last week. I'm so intrigued by Amari Snowden. I think that's the kind of playmaker on the back end that Wisconsin has been lacking a big body who can be that type of difference maker. And we'll see how it shakes out in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> cornerback, safety, wide receiver, quarterback are, are the four. You can you can debate what you think are the most important cornerbacks, certainly. And the other thing is, when we've seen him play Ohio State, the the other difference here, not to get on too big of a tangent, is you get an injury, you end up with a former walk-on, and Ohio State's got another four-star guy they can plug in. And that stuff matters over the course of a long game. So we'll see whether they can uh, elevate at those key positions but i think pretty clearly they uh they saw the importance of addressing these positions particularly yeah for sure um anything else you wanted to touch on with that article i think we pretty much covered it it's just it's funny to me how these numbers confirm what we thought wisconsin was um yeah. and uh, and that's what it's been but that doesn't mean it's what it's going to be yeah for sure for sure um all right so i mentioned
0: at the beginning of the show, or around the beginning of the show, that the Big time meetings are taking place with uh, the ADs in Chicago today and tomorrow. Uh, probably quite a few things on the agenda, as uh, I believe the new commissioner is going to be there, I believe, for the first time. I don't think he was there the last time they met and uh, and talked about this. And now, at this point, I have to go find his name because I don't know it off the top of my head. Tony Petitti? No, P- what is it? <laughs> Petitti? Petiti?
1: I honestly don't know. How do you pronounce it?
0: I can't I say guess... petiti. <laughs> I don't
1: think you can. New
0: Big Ten you commissioner. New Big Ten commissioner
1: Tony Patitty. Uh,
0: petiti? Petiti?
1: I mean, there's probably a Wikipedia, or a, a YouTube video where someone pronounces it. And... <laughs> Tony Petiti in the room, I believe, for
0: the first time uh, to discuss this, and actually, we know coming next year, UCLA and USC are headed to the Big Ten. They are uh, almost surely going away from divisions. That hasn't been official, but it certainly feels official. Uh, your guy at the Athletic, Scott Dockerman, has been all over the the scheduling uh, conundrum that the Big Ten is facing, and there are three options here, Jesse. And I know we've kind of talked about this in the past, but just to lay them out again, it's there's, there's three options. Protect three. That's essentially three protected matchups each year, and then you play games against six of the remaining 12 uh, Big Ten opponents one year, and the other is six the next. Um, so that's, that's protect three. In that case, you would think Wisconsin, if that was the model they went, maybe Wisconsin's protected games would be Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, or would it be Illinois, or would it be Northwestern?
1: I, I had to answer a question like this for a, a thing we did on the Athletic, and I did not pick Nebraska <laughs> <laughs> just because it's like a rivalry in name only. It, it hasn't been at all; they haven't been very good. Nebraska, and uh, I'd be more inclined to pick Illinois or Northwestern. Uh, but it's the fact that you you there's not a definitive answer leads me to believe that that may not be the best model for Wisconsin in the future. It's not just Wisconsin though. How many? How many
0: of these teams, other than Minnesota, who has a trophy for every game, like has three true rivals that they need to play on it on a yearly basis? I mean, I look at like Ohio State has Michigan and Penn State. Like, is Michigan State the other one? I think there's a trophy
1: there, isn't there? But it's it's stupid though, right?
0: Um, like there there are are some teams that have three. Minnesota has fifteen. Like, there are others that have one. UCLA and USC, that should be their protected matchup. So, okay, let's go through the rest of these. Protect two, that would be two uh, protected matchups played four times over four years. Over the course of those four years, each Big Ten team would play the remaining league opponents at least twice and two of those three times. And then there's the flex protect, which I kind of feel like needs to be it. It's uh, according to, to Dr. Manning, he says it's a hybrid model in which each Big Ten team has one, two, or three protected opponents This format allows schedule makers the most flexibility in terms of competitive balance, home and away rotations, and the specific challenges around the West coast travel for teams playing USC or UCLA. I initially didn't like that. I kind of liked the I kind of liked the protect too, but now I think about it more and that makes more sense to me.
1: Yeah. Because you'd be making up rivalries for USC and UCLA as an example. So yeah, you've got this, Century-long history with Wisconsin against some of these programs, the Minnesotas and the Iwas of the world. Um, it is interesting to me the idea of how do you figure out what the competitive balance is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is it fair that if you if you had your protected rivals and Ohio State's were Michigan and Penn State, the two best, other than Ohio State, the two most consistent or best programs recently? I think you could say and Michigan state's been up and down. Is it fair that you would have two games that some other team played that were terrible teams in the league? Um there's a lot to consider here, but it 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 does make sense because everybody's got kind of a different number in terms of Im- important opponents. And ultimately, I think the the two most important things here, well, Competitive balances, so maybe it's three, but you want to have an opportunity to play these rivalry games that matter, but you also want to have an opportunity to play all these teams in a reasonable timeline here because that's been a problem in the Big Ten. Think about Wisconsin's matchups against some of these teams that you didn't even see a team for like six or eight years, and the fact that you would have kids coming in here, being here for four and five years, and never going to a certain stadium or never even having the opportunity to play that team – is just sort of insane, um, and I realize that may get harder and harder as the the league expands. But there's there's a lot to consider, and I can understand why it's taken so long to figure this out. But it is very intriguing that flex protect model. I mean, just look at Ohio state. When's the last time they were at,
0: in Madison? At which which team? Ohio State. Well, twenty sixteen, twenty yeah, twenty. Is that right? Yes. Wow, time flies. Yeah. That's the last time that they were in Madison it was 2016 in that overtime game so you're looking at you're right when you say guys there are guys that have been there that went there for six years that never came to Wisconsin hmm. so this fall obviously, but it's it's been a long time it's been a really, really long time and that I don't think should happen obviously um so yeah that that's that's one part of this thing and then there's also I don't know this report last week from uh, I think it was Brett McMurphy saying that the Big Ten is looking to drop the requirement to play a Power 5 opponent every year. That requirement doesn't actually exist. Michigan hasn't played didn't play a Power 5 team last year. They're not going to play a Power 5 team this year. But I think it's important to keep, even if there was, and they took it away, I think you still should. I, I, for the fans, for us, for everybody involved, playing a Power 5 team is important. And you look at Wisconsin's schedule, I will be re- really disappointed if like Alabama doesn't end up coming here or Notre Dame or the Notre Dame game at Lambeau doesn't end up taking place. in what is it? 2026. Um, those, those are things to look forward to. Those games are, are what we look forward to. I'm not looking forward to going to Washington state. And I don't think anybody was looking forward to Washington state coming here. Maybe at one point they were, but Alabama, Virginia tech, whenever that series happens in, in 2055, um, there are, those are games that everyone looks forward to and to take that off, even though it would just it'd be really disappointing if that were happening. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd be really disappointing if it did.
1: Even when you talk to the players about games like that, the thing you'll hear the most, and maybe it's cliche is, but th- this, this is one of the reasons I came to a place like Wisconsin. Everybody loves those types of games. They're gathering opportunities. They're super memorable. And maybe part of that is because you don't see it every year, but I'd certainly like, the higher level of competition, I guess you could debate in the end, whether that matters for strength of schedule and the playoff. If you're going to be playing nine conference games, uh, now some have played more, some play less. That's another conversation, but. I, it's more fun. I mean, way back when, maybe a decade ago, the big 10 had these conversations about stop playing FCS teams. And I know Barry Alvarez, I think was a proponent of that as well. Now that's uh, the requirement. What's that? I believe that was a requirement that, and it got that. I think it stayed for about two years, and then it got right. And and then they were playing re- FCS teams. Again. Yes, then but it got like, reversed, like, Yeah. In terms of <laughs> competitive balance, like nobody wants to see Wisconsin play insert FCS team here, uh, other than you know North Dakota State or a team that plays really good football. No one wants to pay money, or no one wants to go out there and watch a fifty-nine to nothing blowout. So, um, if you can avoid that. that's great but i don't know uh it's not it's it's beyond my purview but i'm all for more marquee matchups because it keeps everybody's attention is wrapped when you get that that kind of opportunity it's it feels special and it is special
0: it is special so hopefully nothing changes on that front (laughs) i think for everybody uh that's listening this probably feels the same way like I, i get you know trying to go undefeated, give yourself the best chance to get the playoff but no. Um give me those matchups. That's that's what I need. That's what I'm looking forward to. Before we go here. Interesting offer the Badgers uh, delivered uh, over the weekend to a young man named Landon Locke. Does that last name sound familiar?
1: Does it the first does, name, it... does the first name sound familiar? Uh well they they all they both have y in it. Yes. Uh, it's almost like it was on purpose. Almost like they're related.
0: Yeah, Landon Locke, uh quarterback in the 2025 uh class. He's from Rockwall, Texas, and he just happens to be the brother of current Wisconsin quarterback Braden Locke. So they yeah, they do like that dyn at the end of names, don't they? Um he I think he's still early in his in his uh recruitment here. Got offers from uh Southern Mass uh Southern Methodist, SMU to normal people, uh, Tulsa, Western Kentucky, but Wisconsin is offered. And uh, I think it's going to continue to, to increase, but it's, it's an interesting name. It's an interesting name. He's bigger than his brother, according to his, to the scouting and, and watching some of his, his film, he's like, his brother is maybe six foot. Uh, he's listed at six foot three. So a little bit uh, more prototypical quarterback than, than maybe uh Braden
1: is. Well, we've certainly seen Wisconsin's success in its pursuit of brothers, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but it's, it's a very intriguing offer. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what happens with Braden here, because I think the way things are shaping up and you never know what's going to happen with other transfer portal guys, but he certainly looks like after this year, the future at quarterback for Wisconsin. Um, And look, if, if he loves it, that's a pretty darn good selling point. To a younger brother. Um, but Phil Longo's certainly been putting in the work and the time and evaluating these quarterbacks. And all these coaches have been out on the road uh, looking at people this month. Uh, and there's a certain, I think, prototypical quarterback that he wants generally. You see these big arms, six, five types of guys who have a familiarity with this, this spread offense, can make all the throws and have some mobility. Um, and Everybody loves talking about quarterbacks and uh, they've given us a reason to have something to talk about here at Wisconsin. I'm, I'm very fascinated to see what Longo is able to do in terms of his recruitment and development of quarterbacks here. And this is all part of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anything else you wanted to touch on? Uh, just a plug for a couple stories that are oh, running yep, later this sorry. week. Sorry. That's fine. Yeah. Um, just a plug for a couple of stories that are running later this week on the athletic. Uh, there's a few guys left in the 2023 recruiting class at Wisconsin who are already signed uh, who are going to be here next month. The official freshman report date is June 11th, but there are a few guys that I hadn't had a chance to really dive deep in and, and write about. Uh, and so a couple that are running this week. Uh, one is on in state running back Nate White, is going to be running. And then also uh, Christian Allegro, the outside linebacker who did a year of prep school in Connecticut and was previously a lacrosse commit Navy. Really interesting recruitment, so you can check those out later this week on the athletic Nate White play this year uh, if i if I had to say yes or no, I'd be inclined to say no just because I think there's a lot of uh I think there's a lot of learning that you have to do as a true freshman to come in here, and it's one thing when it feels really up for grabs with in terms of the number one role when the when the one and two are locked down and you're three. Are guys who had a whole spring, I think that makes it more challenging. But in a couple of years, and maybe even after this year, given where Wisconsin is at running back wise, he can work his way in. It all depends on what happens in fall camp. I know that's an easy thing to say, but he said he feels like anything's possible right now. No one's told him that he's gonna play, but uh the skill set is certainly there. Extremely talented kid from Milwaukee. And I think uh a big deal that Wisconsin was able to get him because the only kid that they ended up offering from the state in an underwhelming Uh, recruiting class of in terms of wisconsin players but a very good talent coming here
0: looking forward to seeing him this fall uh jesse thank you very much thanks zach there is jesse temple from the athletic you've been listening to the camp